God, take our ears and hear through them. Uh, take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Uh, so this summer I learned a new word, um, an interesting word. A word I think would be helpful as we're thinking about this story today from Luke uh, chapter 18. Uh, but it's a German word, and I studied French in school, so I'm not entirely sure I'm pronouncing it correctly. It's spelled U-M-W-E-L-T, which I assume is pronounced Umwelt. Does that sound right for you German speakers out there? Umwelt, I'm getting some thumbs up. All right. So in German, it means generally uh, environment or, or surroundings. But I came across the word in an article titled How Animals Perceive the World, which is from the Atlantic. It's the July-August 2022 um, issue. And in that field of study, Umwelt has a more specific definition. It means the part of those surroundings that an animal can sense and experience. It's perceptual world. So an animal's Umwelt is its sensory bubble. It's whatever it can see or feel or be aware of. So for example, bats. Bats use echolocation to navigate and to hunt, right? They send out these ultra, uh, ultrasound uh, signals, and then they wait for the returning echo. Well, those signals don't go very far, only about six to nine yards, and they don't last very long. But bats can send out 200 of these pulses per second, and they can detect difference in the echo delay of one or two millionths of a second. Now, that's their sensory bubble. That's their umwelt. And, and beyond that, bats probably aren't aware that anything else exists. And so in the article, the author writes, every animal is enclosed within its own sensory bubble, perceiving but a tiny sliver of an immense world. Well, we're animals too. So we live within our own sensory bubble, our own Umwelt. Of course, humans have expanded the range and the reach of our bubble. I mean, we have social networks that connect some of us to friends around the world. Uh, we managed to put the Webb telescope up in the heavens, and it's looking back almost to the beginnings of time. And humans are unique, too, in that we are the one species that has the capacity to observe uh, and appreciate the umwelt of other species. But for all that, sometimes our sensory bubble, our umwelt, uh, Velt can shrink down. Um, if you're a parent and you have a child at home who's sick, that pretty much can take up all of your attention, all of your energy to the point that not much else exists while they are still sick. Or if you have a big paper at school or a big project at work, that can take up all your bandwidth. Or if someone we love dies, everything shrinks down. And the world pretty much is a matter of getting through one day, trying to get to the next. Our umwelt can shrink. And then, of course, COVID hit, and everyone's sensory bubble shrank. I mean, two years ago, remember, we were all quarantined in our homes, our apartments, our dorm rooms. Uh, everyone pretty quickly got on Zoom, but everyone was reduced to a, a two-dimensional, two-inch square on a screen. So humans, like all animals, have a limited sensory bubble, an umwelt. And we easily imagine that all we know, all we sense, all we experience is all there is. So, we all live within an umwelt. At the same time, we're living in a period of significant 
change, right? I mean, that's true everywhere. Climate change, social change, political change, economic change. The world is changing. Uh, and right here, Portland Mennonite Church is changing too. Uh, staff changes. Last Sunday, if you were here, was Diane Hoagie's last Sunday as our interim pastor of Community Life and Outreach. She started when Brett Carlson uh, went up and got married and moved to the Netherlands. And while Diane was here, uh, Rachel Joy took a job, a position up at Holden Village, and we welcome Michael to our staff. And now we have a search committee, although uh, behind the scenes, working very hard, and, and we hope we'll have some, some news to share here very soon. So staff changes, uh, generational changes here at Portland Mennonite Church too. We're gonna celebrate our 100th anniversary this fall, November 12 and 13. There are people who've been, some of you who've been part of this congregation for 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, helped make this congregation what it's become, but some of those pillars of the church, well, are getting older. Uh, some are moving away. I remember when Ken and Annie Lind and Phil and Jesse Hostetler moved away, I thought, I'm not sure this can be Portland Mennonite Church if they're not gonna be here. Uh, and then, of course, in the past year, um, a number of our friends have, have passed on as well. So staff changes, generational changes, and, uh, and not just here at Portland Mennonite Church, but everywhere, churches, the church is being changed by COVID. I mean, it's an incredibly disruptive event, right? Two years that basically uh, everything was shut down. Also a generative event. I mean, we're streaming the service. That never occurred to us before COVID came. Uh, we've welcomed some new people, some new friends to our congregation. The truth is, as the church changes, no one really knows what it's going to look like going forward. Here's the thing. Because our sensory bubble is limited, when we face periods of change, we tend to live into the future based on the past. We tend to imagine that the future will look like or should look like or ought to look like the past. We tend to imagine that what worked in the past will see us through into the future. Sometimes we forget that all we've known and seen and experienced isn't really all there is. So if we're not careful, we can miss what's possible. And that brings us to this story today from Luke chapter 18. Jesus heals a blind man who we're told was sitting by the roadside begging. Now take a moment and try to imagine the sensory bubble of that man. I mean, in the ancient world, most people didn't travel very far anyway. Most people couldn't read. This man is blind. So he's got his spot on the roadside. He could hear the voices of pilgrims on their way up from Jericho to Jerusalem. That's a pretty limited Umwelt. And then one day, he heard a crowd. He heard, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he calls out, Lord, have mercy. Jesus has the man brought to him, and he asks him, what do you want me to do for you? Now, you would think the answer to that question is pretty obvious. He's blind. He wants to see. Of course. Except the answer is a little more complicated. And here I'm drawn from Kenneth Bailey, who was a Presbyterian uh, academic, um, a professor who lived and worked in the Middle East for many, many years. And he points out that in traditional Middle Eastern society, every person, every pious person, was expected to give to the poor. And so beggars, like this man alongside the road, were offering a service to the community. They were there to receive 
alms. And so they wouldn't ask for coins. What they would say to people passing by was, give to God. Here's your opportunity to fulfill your obligation. And then when someone gave, they would proclaim the giver to be the most noble person they'd ever met and bless them uh, and so on. The point is this man in the story has a role to play. He has an income. There are seven festivals where pilgrims went by Jericho on the way up to Jerusalem. He probably has, um, um, his, his, excuse me, his sensory uh, uh, bubble is limited, but it's serving him pretty well. He probably doesn't have any other education or skills or training. He's good at begging, but that all depends on him being blind. And so when Jesus asks him, what do you want? It's not just, do you want to see, but do you want a whole new life? Do you want a whole new future? And that's a bigger, more complicated question. I imagine it must have crossed his mind at least once that the easiest thing, maybe the safest thing to do, would be to sit tight and just stay in that sensory bubble. But somehow this man has the faith and the hope and the trust and the courage to say, let me see again. And Luke tells us, Jesus said to him, receive your sight, your faith has saved you, and immediately he regained his sight and followed him. Jesus heals him. Jesus opens his eyes. He expands his sensory bubble, and by faith he can see. By faith he can see more. He can see a future that he couldn't otherwise imagine on his own. The blind man follows Jesus. He trusts that Jesus will help him see the kind of life, the kind of community, the kind of world that God means for all of us to live in. And it's still true. If we're willing to let Jesus open our eyes and our hearts and our minds and our souls, if we're willing to let Jesus expand our limited sensory bubbles, our umwelten, if we're willing to trust that all we've seen and known and experienced isn't all there is, if we're willing to see more, to see what Jesus makes possible, to see the kind of life that God intends for all of us to live. Here's another way to think about it. Imagine that there are a group of people living in a huge warehouse. They were born there. They grew up there. This warehouse contains everything that they need. There are no exits in this warehouse. There are windows, but they're thick with dust, they're never clean, so no one bothers to look out because why would they, right? The warehouse has everything that they need. And then one day, a child drags a step stool over under one of those windows and scrapes off the grime and looks out and sees people walking on streets. And they call their friends over to take a look. They never knew a world existed outside. Uh, the warehouse was their sensory bubble. And then they notice people on the streets looking up and pointing and talking excitedly. Well, the children look up. All they see is the roof of the warehouse. So finally, they get tired of watching these people on the street acting crazily and pointing up at nothing in particular. But what the people on the street are looking up at was an airplane, or maybe it was a flock of geese, or maybe it was a gigantic thunderhead. People on the street look up and see the heavens and everything in the heavens. The warehouse people, no heavens above, only a roof. But what if one day one of those children cuts a door out of the warehouse 
What if they see the sky above them? What if they see the horizon beyond them? See, that's what this story invites us to do. It invites us to trust that there is more, that Jesus can help us see more, that Jesus can help us see ourselves more truthfully, that Jesus can help us to see the world more clearly, that Jesus can help us to see the future more hopefully. We're invited to trust that Jesus can expand our sensory bubble, our our umwelt. And especially now, as we're living in this period of change and uncertainty and transition, as we're living in to uh, whatever is going to be normal. This fall, Portland Mennonite Church, as as Kurt said earlier, starting September 11th, this is going to be the first normal, normal normal-ish fall in three years. We're going to have Sunday school, so September 11, 9.30. The MYF, the Mennonite Youth Fellowship, the high schoolers are going to go on a retreat out to Twin Rocks in the fall. They haven't done that for three years now. We're going to do My Coins Count. Uh, We didn't do it two years ago because there was literally no one here. Last year, my recollection is we tried it, but most Sundays there weren't any kids. And me walking around with one of those little tin cans, that just wasn't, that just didn't work that well. But two weeks, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So normal, normal normal-ish, but different. I mean, things have changed. Things are changing. Things will change. And rather than living into the future based on the past, or rather than just sort of settling into whatever prevailing patterns take hold or defaulting to the conventional wisdom, we want to be intentional and thoughtful and faithful. So you might remember the last fall, we did a series of uh, services, a series of sermons on, on the new normal. Well, it took a little longer than we expected. We weren't really counting on Omicron. But we talked about three lenses for seeing our lives more clearly and more truthfully and more hopefully. Three lenses for looking at our life with God, uh, our life together, and our life in the world. We talked about reverence, and we talked about density, and we talked about equity. And so as we're coming to the end of the summer, uh, as we're looking to uh, normal-ish fall, I want to revisit those three again, briefly, uh, in light of this story. So the first lens is, is reverence. We all live in a sensory bubble. We all perceive uh, but a sliver of an immense world. Uh, We have a limited vision of what is and what can be. But we can also get distracted. So in the article uh, about uh, how animals perceive the world, the um, the author focuses on the sensory pollution that humans have created that distorts animals' capacities to perceive. So back to the bats. Bats perceived by echolocation. Smooth vertical surfaces... Those don't exist in nature. They return echoes that sound like an open, like open air. It distorts bats' ability to perceive, which might be why bats so often fly straight into windows. Well, sensory pollution is true for us, too. There's an awful lot that can distort our perceptions. Uh, when we're anxious about change, when we're overwhelmed by work, uh, when we're distracted just by an overload of information, Uh, It can throw us off, uh, can lead us astray, can cause us to crash and burn sometimes. Cultivating the practice of reverence is a way that we can see more. See more clearly, see more truthfully, see more hopefully. Barbara Brown Taylor uh, defines reverence this way. It's the proper attitude of a small and curious human being in a vast and fascinating world of experience. Reverence is the practice of being present, humbly, curiously, 
to the spirit that we trust suffuses all of life. It's the practice of being present to a world that we trust hums with the wonder and the love and the beauty of God. Reverence requires us to be still, to be patient, to be attentive, to be receptive so we can see and hear and sense what we might otherwise miss. And it can happen here on Sunday when we gather for worship. It can happen on Monday mornings before the kids get up or you're off to work. Or maybe on Tuesdays when you're working outside in the afternoon light. Or Wednesdays on a bike ride. Or Thursday when you finally have five minutes to close the door and sit still. Or Friday. Or Saturday. However, whenever, wherever, cultivate the practice of reverence as a way to see more. Second, um, equity. Equity is the lens for looking at the way we live in the world. Uh, all animals have an, an umwelt. Humans, as I said, are the only species, though, that are, that, that are aware of, have, have the capacity to appreciate the umwelten of others. We have the capacity to see and understand and learn from others. Uh, we don't always do it, though. So, in this country, significant part of our collective sensory bubble is the legacy of racism, right? I mean, this country was founded on the notion of white supremacy. That's the only way that people could come to these shores, commit genocide against indigenous people, enslave African people, and imagine that it was okay. The only way you can do that is if you believe you are superior. So for 400 years, that legacy of racism has been baked into the DNA of this country, right? And it continues to shape us all. I mean, it continues to negatively impact communities of color. I mean, across all metrics, right? Health or wealth or policing or education. But it's not just others. It's, as one person put it, it's the smog that we all live in, that we all breathe in, that we're all damaged by. And, I mean, it's easiest to ignore it or imagine that it's in the past or it doesn't really uh, pertain to us. But if we believe that all people are created in the image of God, that all people are loved by God, if we believe what Jesus has helped us to see, that vision of the kingdom of heaven, of the beloved community where everyone has what they need to thrive, then we have to look at our life in the world through this lens of equity. Not just what's fair or what's deserved, but what is needed so that everyone can live the kind of life for which we were all created. And to help us see what's needed, to help us see what's equitable, Miroslav Wolf, who's a, a, a theologian, I think he's at, um, he's at Yale now. This is from his book, Exclusion and Embrace. Miroslav Wolf suggests the practice of what he calls reverse perspective. He writes, our understanding of God's justice Im is imperfect, and we often pervert justice even as we seek to do it. We enlarge our thinking by letting the voices and perspective of perspectives of others, especially those with whom we may be in conflict, resonate within ourselves by allowing them to help us see them as well as ourselves from their perspective and if needed, readjust our perspective as we take into account their perspectives. Equity requires this practice of reverse perspective, a willingness and a readiness to see and listen and learn from the experiences, the, the umwelten of others, and then to go out and do the work of seeking racial justice. That has to be part of what we do here at Portland Mennonite Church. That has to be part of our new normal. So reverence, equity, and then third, density. Um, 
Church has changed. I mean, just look around. Since we started meeting in person, just, this happened last summer, July of 2021, our average attendance on a Sunday is, is usually about 109 people and maybe 20 or 35 devices online. Before COVID, the average attendance was uh, in the summer, I didn't actually look this up, uh, but it was about 180 or 190 people. And then uh, during the regular kind of school year, we would have 220 or 240 people. We had two services. We had 280 or 300 people uh, some Sundays. Not anymore. And the thing is, it's not just us. There was an article in the New York Times this week that uh, on Broadway, uh, theater crowds, the size of theater uh, uh, crowds is down. Concerts is down. There's some shows that still sell out. But generally, uh, attendance is down. Something has changed. My sense is something has changed in, in our a sense of personal space, uh, our sense of what is uncomfortably crowded. Um, and of course, now we have the, the, the ability to connect digitally. Church has changed and is changing and will change. There are times I really wish we could just go back. I liked it the way it was. I missed the way it used to be. But my guess is that the days when, when everyone gathered in one place in one time, on Sunday, here, even in two services. I don't know if that's coming back. My guess is that church in the future is going to be experienced much more as a network of relationships, not just here and not just on Sundays. So in the past, to sort of gauge the health of a congregation, we would count attendance on a Sunday morning. The truth is, that was never very accurate because the purpose of church really isn't just to get people in the door. The purpose of church is strong, thick, life-giving, dense relationships. The purpose is density in our life with Christ, in our life together, our life with our neighbors, our life in God's good creation. It's going to be different, but I want to trust that the Spirit can help us see our way into a new normal. So whether you're here on Sunday mornings or joining us online or maybe watching later in the week, whether you're teaching Sunday school in person or in a small group on Zoom or volunteering on a night strike under the Burnside Bridge on a Thursday night, this fall, I hope that you will be intentional about increasing the density of your relationships to Jesus, uh, to each other, to our neighbors. This is going to be the first normalish fall in three years. It's going to be different. Things are changing. There's things I'm going to miss. Times I'm going to wish it was just the way it used to be. But if we limit our sensory bubble to what was, if we're tempted to live into the future based on the past, there's a danger that we're going to miss what can be. We're going to miss what the Spirit makes possible. In this story, it's a blind man of all people who helps the rest of us see more. To see the kind of life, the kind of future, the kind of community, the kind of world that we couldn't otherwise see on our own. And so this morning, in a moment, we'll sing our prayer. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see your face. Open my eyes, Lord. Help me to see. Open my heart, Lord. Help me to love like you. Open my heart, Lord. Help me to love. May it be so. Amen.